Welcome to Black History Bootcamp. My name is Morgan Dixon. I cannot wait to tell you the story of the legends of Tuskegee Institute. It's, I think, my favorite story this entire season of Black History Bootcamp because these two brothers are the most underestimated people in Black history. Are you getting ice cream from an ice cream truck, Vanessa? Because <laughs> I just walked by. No, it's, it's French music playing. I'm out, I'm out walking in Washington, D.C. Did you just hear that, though? I walked by somebody's house. Yes, it sounds it like a hood ice cream truck. That's what it seems like. <laughs> and George Washington Carver does not appreciate it. Although, Listen, how y'all doing today? It's been a rough rough week. I told God I wasn't going to never cuss again on Black History Boot Camp, but I feel like cussing about this week. It's been a rough week. How's it been for y'all? I'm listening. <laughs> I hear you talking. I hear y'all out there talking. For some of y'all, it's been a great week. If you're like me, it has been a rough week, y'all. And I, It's just Tuesday. Vanessa, how's the week been for you? You know what? It's been just as rough, Morgan, but... I got on before this call and looked at the Twitter to see women's responses to the Black History Boot Camp. And man, women are loving this. So it just, um, it put me right in the space I needed to be for this conversation. Well, you know what's putting me in the space is as I'm walking, I can see my shadow. And I have on this long goddess dress and it's blowing in the wind like I'm Lola Falana. So it's raining here in D.C., in Morgan. Mood. I want to be there with you with your dress on. Oh, my God. It's sunny and the wind is blowing and there's palm trees dancing in the shadows. It's so gorgeous out here. I hope wherever you are that you can start to pay attention to what's around you. That is such a beautiful place to start today's conversation. Vanessa, how much do you know? Okay, Vanessa, if I take out peanuts and experiment with peanuts, how much do you know about George Washington Carver? And if I take out W. E. I didn't even know the peanut thing. Morgan, nothing. Zero. This is one of those things where all every black person and all the allies who listen to this conversation, you are going to be a one up on your next dinner party in your next like wherever you interact with somebody (laughs) like we are about to get some actual knowledge. Because when I promise, you know, the only thing I know about Booker T is it seems to me says Booker T shows a mighty lot of cheek. It's a poem that I used to uh, practice. I don't even know why, but I need to know everything about everybody. I literally know nothing about George Washington Carver and the peanuts, except that something in him has to do with peanuts. And, and that's all you know is that poem about Booker T. Washington. <laughs> well, is, I know, this I mean, I know a little more about Booker T, but it's like one of those things no, that I you I want to know what else you know. I know he was I want to know what else you know. Like from Tuskegee. I know that he was <laughs> like the polar opposite of W.E.B. Du Bois and that he was like, we got to we got to focus on like the basics of survival post reconstruction. I think it was where it's like, we don't know how to, I don't know, put ourselves together. Right. See, that's I, I a don't lot. Know. He was, no, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. lot right? That's okay. a lot. I'm doing, okay, I'm lot. doing good. Okay. It's a lot. No, you're doing good. You're doing good. For those of you who don't actually know any more than that, because I think that's probably 80% of us who don't know any more about George Washington Carver and Booker T. Washington. I hope today's conversation is a moment of justice for these two men who together were the most influential black men at the turn of the century after Reconstruction. And that I believe that their legacies were intentionally 
intentionally distorted on two fronts by the black elite and by the people in the South who didn't want black people to have economic empowerment. And I believe that to my core, Vanessa, because there's no way that these two brothers did everything that they did and we don't know more about them. There's no way. When you just said that, though, I got a flash of how many people that is happening to right now. Like where somehow I think like in 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, even their legacy of work is like going to either be diminished or distorted. And so it's such a responsibility for us to tell the stories because I was like, dang, you are so right. How do these two men who've done so much, like how did they land here? So I love that we're talking about this. But let's call out some of those those people's names, Vanessa, right now so it doesn't happen. Let's put them in the history books. Who now is doing the real work that people should know about in 100 years? Ooh, that is such a good question. I you am guys, really please inspired. tag people out yeah, there in the somebody. social media universe of people who are doing the real work. Hashtag Black History Bootcamp, and we will put them on in, on our social media because I'm thinking of people like Majora Carter, who's green in the ghetto up in the Bronx. I'm thinking about Brittany Packnett, who be holding it down on CNN for us all the time. Yes. I want her written I'm in I'm thinking the about books. Patrice Cullors, who had an entire misinformation campaign spread against her and how she's just been holding up our whole community, has created an entire campaign that's galvanized the world and is investing in her local L.A. city And yet she had so much vitriol coming for her, specifically from other black people who didn't want to do the research. Yes. Or Alicia Garza, who's doing the Black Census Project. I mean, there's so many of us who are out there working so hard for our people. And I want people to remember them in 100 years. So speaking of legends, I'm going to tell you about these two men, Vanessa. And I I invite you to interrupt with any questions that you have. If anybody has questions you want to text us, you know the number, or you can put it on social media. But let me just start in the beginning. And I'm going to actually start with George Washington Carver, just so that you can know who this man was um, before Booker T. Washington invited him to join his crew, you're right, at Tuskegee Institute. So let me tell you who this man was. First, Booker's a good name. Sorry, I do. Let me interrupt right there and just say Booker's a good name too. Sorry, I just, I like that name. Well, let's start there, Vanessa, because my grandfather's name is Booker T. Morgan. I couldn't make it up. What? And for years, for years, I was embarrassed that my grandfather was named after Booker T. Washington because I had only learned the part of Booker T. Washington's story that he said we got to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and not acknowledge the white supremacy that has kept us down. And I was and I was going to college and I had fallen into the line of thinking of W.E.B. Du Bois who said that you have to be educated and fight for equality in order to have the dignity of a black person. And so I could not understand for the life of me why my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather would name my grandfather Booker T. Morgan. I couldn't for the life of me understand it, and I was always embarrassed of his name. Mm -hmm. And I was ignorant. And I was ignorant. And I'm going to tell you why, Vanessa. So let's start with George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver actually was born in Missouri, and he was born enslaved. He was born... First of all, today is Booker T. Washington's birthday, y'all. I forgot to start with that. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, yes. How can you... Can well, you believe it? We did not that. plan this, yes. y'all. 
It's April. I know. Yeah, because I just le- I just learned it. I was doing the research. I was like, God, you kidding me? Hardy har har. God, hardy har har. Oh my you god! You kidding me? Like I did not. Of all the days, y'all. Of all the days, this is God giving us confirmation that this conversation yes. is necessary, particularly now. Yes. That of all the yes. days, the 365 days, that the one day we decide to talk about Booker T. Washington, that it is his birthday, April 5th. Ooh, he I just want y'all to know that. All right, go ahead, Vanessa. He go was ahead. An Aries. Yes, he was an Aries. That excites no, it just, all. It I'm, excites it all. It does. It does. I'm just recognizing all the synchronicities. Yesterday when I got up, I did not realize until we were walking that I was wearing a People Freeze food program sweatshirt during the Black Panther Party episode. That's how like I just like wasn't even and then I was like what so it's just I believe in all these signs and I believe that it's them it's their spirits telling us pushing us on like yes yes tell these stories tell these stories so happy birthday Booker T. Happy birthday, Booker T. I hope I tell your story well. I hope that you and George Washington and Carver Carver up in heaven dancing and ready to applaud us as we walk in the streets for your legacy. So George Washington Carver was actually born into slavery in 1864, like the year before the Civil War ended, right? And Mm -hmm. he was born into slavery to this very old white couple, this very, very elderly white couple. And they lived way out in like rural Missouri. And they were very isolated. And so when he was a little boy, Vanessa, his father was tragically killed. He was run over by like a lumber wagon and he was tragically Mm -hmm. killed. This is right before the end of slavery. His father was killed. And then night raiders came onto the plantation and stole Booker T. Washington and his mother and took them to another state to sell them off into slavery because our enslaved ancestors were very valuable. And the end of slavery was coming. So these night raiders came and stole this woman and her baby from this senior citizen couple who were also enslavers, right? They also had enslaved our people. And so those can you imagine? The plantation can you imagine owners, these people all getting up in arms about their property getting stolen? Like I just can't. But yeah, Vanessa, the plantation owner, the senior citizen, he got the Union Army because they were in the middle of the Civil War to go and find his property, this woman and little George Washington Carver. They went. I forgot what state it was. I think they were taken to like Arkansas. They went to the other state to reclaim this man's property on official U.S. duty, the United States Army from Night Raiders, and they found the little boy and they did not find his mother. So they returned the little boy back to slavery in rural Missouri, and that is George Washington Carver. And he was raised by these senior citizens. And he had an older brother who was not stolen and abducted. And he, his older brother, and these two white people raised these black boys. And as I was reading that, I was like, somebody better talk about his mom. Thank what you. That's her? exactly what I was thinking. And I was Thank just you. like, as we are walking today, I want to walk for his mother. Because I'm so tired of reading black history and black women are just done wrong, just unseen, just overlooked. And something happened to this man's mother. And I just wanted to take a pause. So I'm going to ask if we can just take a minute to just walk and remember all of the mothers who suffered in our history and all of the mothers who were taken and stolen and raped and missing and who went missing in our history. As we do that, Ebony, can you please play our meditation song for today?
Thank you so much. I want you to remember the women who came, and I chose this song, Let the Circle Be Unbroken, because I tell you, you can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. I'm going to tell you, that little boy established a connection to God. What happened is he raised himself in the forest outside of the plantation where that elderly couple held him and his brother. Even after emancipation, he had nowhere to go. He stayed there with that family. And right next to the plantation was forest. And he lost himself in those forests. And he said, Every single day, there was a presence in that forest and that he was able to communicate and find truth and find love and find resilience by walking through this forest as a child, as a child. As you are walking in the streets of your neighborhood, I want you to summon the curiosity of a young George Washington Carver, he would study plants, he would study trees, he would study grasses, he would lay and look at the sky. He felt carried and supported by nature in this way that he described. He said that it was the ultimate truth, nature. That it was the ultimate truth and that it would never let him down. The sun always came up, the seasons always changed. The flowers always bloomed, and it became his grounding, his actual grounding. And I know that his mother was in that forest with him. I know that his father was in that forest with them. And so I just, for every orphan boy and girl out there, which is what he referred to himself, I just want you to know that there is something bigger holding you, and it is our community, and we got you. So he was there, and he was raised by these people. But as a very young boy, he wanted to learn. He was a genius. And everybody recognized it, even as a child, that he was a genius. And he walks, I think, eight miles when he was like nine or 10 years old to the local school to go to school. And he didn't have anybody. He found a black couple there and they took him in. They didn't have any children. And the woman was a doula and a caretaker. And she also was a herbal healer. And so she started teaching him herbal healing, Vanessa. And she started teaching him all of the ways of nature. And they took this boy in and they made sure he got an education and he ended up going to college. When he went to college, he first was denied the first college he went to because he was the first black person who wanted to go to the college and they said he couldn't go. Then he went to Iowa State. And at Iowa, it was before it was called Iowa State, but he went to a university in Iowa that later became Iowa State. He was the first black person to go to the school, to graduate from the school, to get a master's degree from from the school and to teach at the school. He was the only black person the whole time in Iowa doing this by himself, George Washington Carver. He became a preeminent, not just scientist, but Vanessa, he became an artist, like a still life artist. He was in art classes, painting all these things. He was a botanist. He was a conservationist. I wonder does Iowa State have something for him on the campus? Like we should ask somebody, one of our truckers from Iowa, if there's some sort of thing observing him. I just want to know about it. I believe so because his school that he originally went to in Iowa has a a kiosk and marker out where he went to school. So I hope so at Iowa State. Okay. So he was in Iowa State and he started to just make waves where he was doing this powerful research with all of these um, government officials who went to the White House for like agriculture and he was doing their research. And he became this powerful, powerful scientist at Iowa State. Well, Vanessa, 
he came to prominence. He was advising the White House, all from literally being kidnapped as an enslaved child, to advising the White House on agriculture. Okay, and while he was there making good money, although they made him sleep in the laboratory because they wouldn't allow him to sleep in a dorm, he gets a letter out of the blue, and this is the letter he got. George planned to obtain a doctorate at Iowa State. And the school wanted very much to keep him on its faculty in what could have been a contented life of academic distinction. Then, in 1896, a letter arrived that would change everything. I cannot offer you money, position, or fame, it said. The first two you have. The last, from the place you now occupy, you will no doubt achieve. These things I now ask you to give up. I offer you in their place work, hard, hard work, the task of bringing a people from degradation, poverty, and waste to full manhood. It was signed by Booker T. Washington, the principal of an industrial and teacher training institute for black students in Tuskegee, Alabama. Booker T. Washington was determined to make Tuskegee a leading educational institution in the South, and his most pressing need was to establish an agriculture department. But to establish such a department, Washington recognized that he needed a black man with an advanced degree in agriculture. And in all the country, there was only one such man, George Washington Carver. To lure Carver to Tuskegee, Washington offered him an annual salary of $1,000 plus living quarters. Despite Washington's warning of hard, hard work, Carver replied to him, It has always been one ideal of my life to be the greatest good to the greatest number of my people possible. And to this end, I have been preparing myself for these many years, feeling as I do that this line of education is the key to unlock the golden door of freedom to our people. He would remain there until his death 47 years later. Woo! Vanessa, wow. it was on, okay? Wow. Now, if you don't know who Booker T. Washington was at the time, he became the most influential black man at the turn of the century in the 1880s. Booker T. Washington was also born into slavery. He only knew his mother. They suspected that his father was a, a slave owner in the next plantation. At the Emancipation Proclamation, he, described, he wrote a whole book about coming up from slavery at the Emancipation Proclamation, Vanessa, he was describing the elation of all the people in his family because he said it was so hard. And slavery was much harder than people even talk about. He said his family never even sat down for a meal together. They would just throw them food like they were cattle. And he was just like that we were so happy that there was nothing I wasn't willing to do to carve out the kind of life that I always wanted. And so, Vanessa, he walked... Yeah. From West Virginia to Hampton Institute to get an education. He didn't have no right clothes. He didn't have no right. He taught himself how to read and he walked 400 miles. I take back everything miles. I said, Morgan, about having a bad day. I take it back. I take it he back. He walked 400 <laughs> I just put it in the context. miles 
from West Virginia to Hampton Institute to get an education. The man taught himself how to read. He gained entrance into Hampton Institute, which shout out to the HBCUs and particularly the ones who came on early to educate freedmen and their children. They took him in, Vanessa. He worked so hard. He scrapped through. He struggled through college. And by the end of college, he was leading. And in fact, he got put um, on a project where he was leading Native Americans who had applied to Hampton and a whole core of Native American children who came in. And he learned about their genocide up close and personal. So you can imagine this is a man who did not trust racial integration. He had been a product of chattel slavery. His mother had presumably been used by a plantation owner, and he was the product of that. That at his freedom, he had oh, to walk wow. with nothing to Hampton Institution, and then he taught Native Americans. So you imagine the kind of man he is. That's going to be important when we talk about him and W.E.B. Du Bois. Well, Booker T. Washington became a powerful man. He became a powerful speaker. But most importantly, he became so good at diplomacy and getting money, Vanessa. So what he started doing was aligning himself with people who have resources, Vanessa, after just a few years, Booker T. Washington, first of all, at 25 years old, he excelled so much at Hampton Institute that they wanted to start a new school called Tuskegee Institute down in Alabama. And they appointed him at 25 years old to start this new school. It started in the basement of an AME church. And then he raised the money to buy a a multi-acre plantation, Vanessa, to start Tuskegee Institute. He starts raising record amounts of money and acquiring record amounts of land because he had a plan. He had a plan, Vanessa, that black people were going to rise up. He had a plan that wasn't a two-year plan, wasn't a 10-year plan. It was a generational plan of black people doing for themselves. So he bought all of these acres and he started to recruit and get people on the bus who were the most brilliant people in the country. And because George Washington Carver was the preeminent scientist at that time, he recruited him away from his university, only offering him $1,000 a year. This is what you need to know about George Washington Carver at the time. George Washington Carver at the time was very famous. (laughs) It was actually more famous than Booker T. Washington. And in fact, in just the next few years, he would start to advise Henry Ford on his entire mechanism system for starting the the automobile. That he would call, in fact, late in life, when, when George Washington Carver was old, Henry Ford came to Tuskegee and put an elevator in so he could go up to his laboratory room. That's how good of friends they were. He advised Henry Ford. Mahatma Gandhi wrote to him and asked if he could create a vegan diet for him. Thomas Edison tried to recruit him away and come and work for $100,000. And he said, no, I work for my people. He went down to Tuskegee with nothing. He said he had to root through the trash in order to get mason jars and like the scientific products he needed to start with experiments. Vanessa, together, they built Tuskegee Institute. They taught themselves how to create bricks, Vanessa. And the stu- the 1,000 students at Tuskegee constructed the entire campus. Of the 34 buildings there, they built by hand 30 of them using their own bricks that they created themselves. They built Tuskegee Institute, and half of the buildings in Alabama come from Tuskegee Bricks. I'm telling you, these people were enterprising and industrious. It's just so powerful because 
we'll get into, I know you're going to get into it in a minute, but when we talk about like the talented 10th and like the people who thought that he was like against the progression of our race, you look and realize that when you said he had a generational plan is that no, he had a bigger vision and actually understood and was right to be suspicious of integration and actually understood that there was power in our hands and our kind of that quote, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And he was doing for us and having us do for ourselves in a way that no academic book could do. That's exactly right. And he was brave about saying it. He was quoted as saying things like that were controversial, like that black people had gotten more out of the institution of slavery than white people had. And people were like, hold up, Booker T, you can't say that. You can't say that. Hold up, wait a minute. And what Booker was saying is, no, we know how to build. We know how to farm. We know how to care for ourselves. We know how to raise children. We know how to tailor. We know how to print. We know how to raise a nation. You know how we, we know how, Morgan, because we've been doing it for y'all people. I was going to say, you That's know how what we he's know saying. how folks, folks look around. Like, what the hell you talk about? We gain <laughs> the skills required to build a nation. Let's use them. Yeah. Let's use them. And by the brow, by pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps is what he's saying, that we can rise, that we don't have to ask anybody else for dignity. We can just stand in our dignity. So he used to get frustrated by the talented 10th or W.E.B. Du Bois or Thurman and all those people who went to Harvard and Columbia and all the, he was really, really frustrated by them. Some of them that Zora Neale Hurston and the Niggerati were also frustrated by because he said, you call about an ice cream truck again. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm walking around the block. Sorry. I'm walking around the block. Yes. So he said that while they're in their ivory towers, thinking about moments and thinking about movements, that he's thinking about the masses and that he's been in the South his entire life, that he's been enslaved, that W.E.B. Du Bois was never enslaved. So he can't tell him about what dignity looks like. Dignity looks like what you can build and how you can use your, your labor in your hands. So he started to raise all of this money, Vanessa. I mean, the Carnegie's, the Rockefeller's, the Baldwin's, who did the railroad back in the day, they were all benefactors of Tuskegee Institute because they was like, yeah, y'all get yourself together. <laughs> this, is what the, this is what the industrialists were saying. <laughs> and Booker T. Washington say, I'll put right. down my bucket where I stand. Give me the money. Give me the money. We about to build this whole entire right. thing. At right. one point, brick by brick, he built this institution and he had a bigger endowment than Harvard University. He had a bigger endowment than Harvard University. He was invited to the White House to speak and to leverage his power on behalf of black men and women. I now understand why my grandpa was named Booker T. Morgan. I understand it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. At one point, he went to Atlanta for the Atlanta Exposition. And by this time, W.E.B. Du Bois was all on Booker T. Washington. He loved Booker T. Washington. He applied to work at Tuskegee. Like, he needed a job from Booker T. Wait, Washington. Wait, W.E.B. Du Bois? Yes, yes. That's why I'm saying don't believe the hype. This is what Wait, I'm he telling you I, I don't understand. He changed, his, he changed his mind? Yes, because this is what happened, Vanessa. Booker T. Washington went to this great expo in Atlanta, and it was actually supposed to be Frederick Douglass. Who, this sounds who, like um, a Drake song. It's like, right. oh, you come back for me. Oh, my right. round? My round? No, Sorry. I'm, no, like, I'm telling it. you. Okay, go ahead. W.E.B. Du Bois wrote him a letter after the Atlanta exposition was like, bravo. You know, you can find a letter online. He wrote yes. him a letter. I love that. Yeah. Humility. Let me tell you, that's a lesson for all of us on this call, which is just put down the ego. 
because when people are doing the work, they are doing the work and they should be celebrated and they should be supported. And we actually become better when we can humble ourselves in those positions and be like, I see where I was wrong or I see where I need to join forces or put me in coach where you need me type of thing. I love that. I genuinely didn't know this part. Yes. But no, no, no. He eventually broke off and, and they had these huge and fierce debates. So it wasn't too much humility. But this is what I'm okay. saying. He was influential on a hero. He went to the Atlanta Exposition okay. and he made this famous speech. And the famous oh. speech said, we don't want integration, essentially. He says, socially, we want to yeah. live as separate as my fingers, but we want to be as unified as my hand in areas of mutual progress. That is radical. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That ain't what W.P. Du Bois and all them at Harvard wanted. They wanted justice, equity, inclusion, integration. (laughs) They wanted to be right next to white people socially. They want... He was like, I want the job. I don't want the job to buy the opera tickets. That's what Booker T. Washington said. He was like, I want money. I don't want money so I can sit next to you in a theater. And so he was... So that was the rub is that he... He, and they called him an accommodationist because they were saying that he was mm. essentially supporting the Southerners for not wanting them to be in their classrooms and stuff. And Booker T. Washington is like, bet you don't want me in your classroom. I'll build my own school. Right. He was like, bet I could trade with you. He was like, I don't need to be integrated into your society because he had seen the horrors he had seen the horrors, right? Yeah. So after he said that, one of the things that started happening is people saw how powerful this man was. They were like, who is this brother clenching his fist on the stage at the World Expo? You can go online and, see, and type in Booker T. Washington Atlanta Exposition and see him on the stage with all, it was a mixed crowd of black and white people all around him. And they were like, uh-oh. <laughs> it was like, they rise it up. This is an economic takeover and a labor. Like they was like, uh-oh. And from that speech, everything went awry. So we were talking about FBI, COINTELPRO, all this kind of stuff. Girl, Jim Crow kicked way up. Jim Crow kicked way up. The lynching campaign started all across the South. The liberals up in the North, both white and black, started to attack Booker T. Washington and say that he was an accommodationist. And and trust, Booker T. Washington also had political ambitions. He was like, I'm going all the way to the White House. (laughs) He was like, I'm going all the way to the White House. But I'm just saying, yes. And at the same time that he was doing all this speaking, George Washington Carver was back at the campus. Vanessa, he was teaching people how to save the earth. What had happened after slavery was over, the entire earth was scorched because they were only doing a single crop of cotton, right? And so 5 million farmers were there and 4 million of them didn't have no land. They were sharecroppers. And of the 1 million who had land, the land was garbage because it had just been cotton after cotton after cotton, exploiting the land, exploiting the labor. So George Washington Carver created a plan for renewing the soil. He planted regenerative plants like okra, like soybeans, like uh, black eyed peas, like yams, all of the vines. Oh, sweet potatoes, things that vine into the earth and keep the earth from erosion and blowing away. He taught the black farmers, the indigenous, by the way, African ways of regenerating the earth. And they saved the planet and, and fed the nation He went around with a cart, Vanessa, teaching people how to save their land. Vanessa, I'm just telling you, these men was doing some real stuff out here. They were doing some real stuff out here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so the entire South is built with bricks that they made. The All the land is regenerated because of what they did. And peanuts, that's it. Peanuts was the other crop. And, what, and peanuts also, I was are, are like vines. I was waiting. I was yeah. like, where do the peanuts come in? Where do the peanuts come in? So the peanuts okay. were the other crop. And so he taught them. And so this woman wrote him a letter. One of the things he used to do, he wrote 25,000 letters back to his fans in his lifetime. This is who we talk about, George Washington Carver. 25,000 letters people wrote to him, farmers asking yes. him stuff. And he wrote back to every single one of them. And one lady was like, all right, you told me to put all these peanuts down here. They run it everywhere. I got peanuts everywhere. What am I going to do with all these peanuts? So he came up with 300 ways to make money using peanuts. And that's what he became. That's when he went on Good Morning America, but it wasn't no Good Morning America because it was 1800s. But that's when, that's how he got famous. That's how he got famous because he wrote this list of how to make money off of peanuts. This all makes so much sense. I literally love this story. Like you don't even understand. What I did for my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? So... But you never know what's going to be that one thing that kind of you get put on. You'll be over here doing all this other stuff. And then it's going to be like, and then you're going to be known later, as the peanut George man. Washington Carver. You're going to be known as the peanut, peanut man. man. Exactly. <laughs> yes, that's ignorant. So I'm just saying, if you doing the dietary things for the Mahatma Gandhi, if you're advising Ford's factory and the creation of the car, if Thomas Edison is trying to steal you away yes. for $100,000, if Time Magazine calls you the Aristotle of his people and you know him for peanuts, I'm saying that's a conspiracy. Yes. That's a conspiracy. That's all I'm saying. That's a conspiracy. So um, whether you are hardcore WB Du Bois, we are not talking about him today. He had just points. He understood what it it was required. He eventually changed to Pan-Africanism, not integrationism. But before he did that, he and Thurman and a whole bunch of other people in the uh, intelligentsia or the academic elite tore Booker T. Washington down, said he was country, said he wasn't, he just wanted black people to work and sweat and he didn't want to demand equal justice. He said, I don't need to ask for something I can gain on my own. So I'm just saying, boy, y'all better get you mm. some crews who are aligned with your values. This man did so mm-hmm. much work over the turn of the century and I'm actually so proud I'm so proud that my grandfather's name is Booker T and that he was the black president. So that's all I have today. One of the questions I have for you, Vanessa, Uh is when we think about um, when we think about like sacrifice, right? Yeah. Do you Mm -hmm. think that there is a limit of sacrifice that you need to make for your people? Like I think about George Washington Carver not taking (sighs) these other opportunities and toiling in this little lab that didn't have anything. I sometimes feel like. I don't know where the line is for that. Yeah. Immediately what I think is this. I think that all of us have to tap into what our motivations are and what our values are and align those things. And when we do, we create bliss and joy in the midst of service, which means that money ain't the thing that's motivating us. Or maybe it is if that's what is your value. And I think that you have to make decisions about your service that connect with what makes you happy because otherwise you'll be on that treadmill running the race for your people and you'll be bitter and nobody actually benefits. So I think there is a limit for some people and I think that's okay. You know what I'm saying? I think that some people have 
deep wells of ideas and energy and all sorts of things. And I think there's other people over there whose service is meant to be in a different way. Maybe it's meant to be service inside of your home, or maybe it's meant to be, you know, in a relationship, or maybe it's meant to be at a small school. So I don't think there's like a one size fits all. I don't think it's a right size thing. I think we all better be in service. I don't think that that's an option, but I do think and never begrudge somebody who decides that, you know, I want to also pay my bills. And I also want to do other things because if those are the things that matter to them and those are the things that are going to fill them up, then that's how you regenerate their energy. That's how you regenerate their ideas, which they place back into the community, in which case we all benefit. But should we demand like equal pay, demand our rights, demand a seat at the table, or should we build our own? Like do the sacrifice it requires to build their, build our own. Oh, Morgan Dixon calling from Ghana. Because um, every single one of us could go and do such and such and get paid such and such and do this and do that. Yeah. Or like go do this. or go, Like I'm just wondering at what point do you go and demand, listen, I'm worth this amount of money or I'm, I could do this or I could. Or like, hey, see me, see my worth, celebrate me, put me on the front of your newspaper, New York Times or whoever, 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 Washington Post. Or at what point do we make our own newspapers or do we make our own jobs or do we make our own? Yeah. Like They're having that same question with the Grammys right now. Right. So like that is yeah. the question, which is like, do you care or do we, which is like Salon said, like need to give our own awards to ourselves. I'm in the, we need to give our own awards to ourselves and build our own stuff camp at this point. I really am. I think it's a both and, so I'm not going to be um, backing off of equal play for black women and justice in terms of policies, but at the same time, and this goes back to like what fills us up. I just think that we, as a community and as a people, we need collective effort towards building our own institutions land so that we could develop healthy food for ourselves and feel safe physically so that we could heal from the trauma. I think we need recreation because so that we don't have to feel like we're in performance mode all the time and that we're under the white gaze. I think we need different media so that we could change the messaging that is consistently dominates and the thread. I don't think we could put that in the hands of somebody else. I don't think we can at all. I don't either. Some of what what I read reminds me of what Girl Trek has done because we were like, what can we do if nobody supports us that will change everything? Yes. You know what I mean? And he was like, yep. we'll build, we'll build yep. our own bricks. We'll build our own institution. We'll have our own cows and dairies and yeah. milleries and print houses. I mean, they literally did all of that on the campus. Right. He was like, we'll just do it ourselves. And meanwhile, the people up north were like, no, 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 you're going to give us access to your print houses. You're going to give us access to your other things. So I agree. There's probably no right or wrong, but I just don't want, I feel like Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver had been relegated into this kind of corner of coonery. And I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's just, and I don't even think it's accurate. I think it's ignorant. So I just wanted, I wanted to give them their stage and I wanted to give them their just due. That is the... Booker T actually, if you look at the philosophy of like modern day leaders, right? I actually mm -hmm. think they align more almost with his perspective than W.E.B. I'm just trying to think like who I would think is like really. Yeah, but this is this is one of like, those issues of optics. If you had at the turn of the century, like burgeoning Harlem Renaissance, you got people in their suits, people getting their Harvard degrees, people getting accolades from like the white liberal establishment. People aspire yeah. to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you got these brothers mm -hmm. down here making peanuts. You know what I mean? Building bricks, shoveling ditches. Mm -hmm. 
They're just like, we don't want to be down like that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are doing real work right now who don't have the optics of it, who are not on CNN. I know this sounds random, Morgan, but I feel like India Ari be telling us this. Like, I think she'd be trying to tell us, like, that we need to, like, I'm just trying to think, like, her messages, even in her music, like, is a little, is, is that, like, it's a book, it's a very Booker T message. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking, like, Cori Bush. Yeah. I think there are lots yeah. of people who are, like, the builders, who are thinking generationally, not thinking this year, this trend, this idea, so. How would you classify Barack Obama in terms of his, like, philosophy and leadership? Do you think it was like for a generation? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think Michelle Obama, (laughs) I think Michelle Obama was about like the sweat of your own brow. And I think her father in particular taught her that, that do for yourself. I think there's a real do for yourself spirit in their household. The reason why I pause on Barack Obama is because he was such an academic. He was really, really like bolstered by his intelligence and it really took him far. So I just don't know. I don't know. He's an and interesting And I ask one. because I think he also has had some, like, respectability. I think, like, some of his um, feedback as of late actually post the White House around, like, how we rise or what we do. I think it it is a little bit, you know, I haven't always, like, aligned with what some of his perspective. So that's what I was asking. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's all I got for today. You have any final words, Vanessa? No, I loved this. Happy birthday, Booker T. Thank you for sharing the George Washington Carver story. And I will end by uplifting his mother, just like you started and just saying that all of his successes, I'm going to imagine and all of the things that he did, one probably didn't count or feel the hold of what happened. And two, I feel like he must have been guided by her. Like when you said he was walking through the woods or even in the work that he was doing. So just God bless black mothers. Yeah. One last quote I wanted to share. There's a man who was talking. There's so many good documentaries about both of these men on YouTube. But this academic was saying that George Washington Carver's revolution was not activism. It was creativity and science and experiment and innovation. And he was like, Mm. that was his revolution. And I was like, I really resonate that while some people are activists and ideologues and moralistic that some of us are are planting gardens and some of us are doing like yes. the the creative work. So I'm going to end with this song yeah. by my high school boyfriend Sean Stockman from Boys to Men. <laughs> sure is your high school boyfriend. Oh my god, my high school boyfriend Sean Stockman. From I'm going to reach. Out. Can somebody help me reach out to Sean Stockman so that we can get him to sing for Morgan's birth next birthday? Because please, I because that's like, my man from yes. back in the day. That's my yes. man. But as soon as I was reading about George Washington Carver, I was like, because he was like a genius and like a sensitive soul, like Sean Stockman. <laughs> And I remembered from Mr. Holland's opus, he sang this beautiful song. So I thought as we think about George Washington Carver and we create space for ourselves to be the revolutionaries that we are, as opposed to performing revolution for other people and accolades, I thought this song is the right spirit for it. It's called Visions of a Sunset. Let's go.